as we come to God's Word this morning. I want to start right at the outset, as I did last time, to fly a flag so that you know where I'm coming from and so that as I take on the task of pastoring this church with the elders, that you know where we are coming from. second flag I want to fly this morning is that of that I believe in the systematic and expository preaching of God's Word. And that means that we don't hop around from topic to topic, but that we go into a book and we go and study that book from the start of it to the end of it. And by doing that, we let Scripture set the agenda for what the Lord wants to do here. And we don't set the agenda. And I've seen some amazing things happening and some amazing works of the Lord as we have gone through books of the Bible and just taught what God has told us to do. And that also gives you the opportunity in the week to go and discuss in your Bible study groups what has been taught in the week and also to look ahead and prepare yourselves for the next bit because you know where we're going to be. And so I'd really ask you to do that and to take seriously the opening of God's Word and the learning from it so that we can be obedient to Him, our God. Because when we come and we are serious about God's Word, that is when He works in us and through us. Let's just come before the Lord and let's give Him this time so that it's Him speaking. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it doesn't just point the way for us, but that it also encourages us when the going is tough. Lord, we are slow to learn and so prone to forget. Make us more effective disciples of yours as we study your word, Lord, and as we then seek to apply it, we pray. Amen. I'm sure you've heard some of these typical media testimonies. Listen to this one. I was sick and broke and total and a total failure. Then I met Jesus. Now everything's fine. My business is booming and I'm a great success. You've heard those? When I was in America recently I heard plenty of those on TV. Sounds wonderful. Be a Christian. You get a bigger house and a boat and you even get holidays in the Holy Land. Fantastic. But is that real? Is that the truth? Is that what you and I can testify in in your lives? Yes, Jesus does heal. Yes, Jesus does turn us from failure to success. He does do those things. And yes, He does bless us financially. Sometimes. You know what I mean. But what about the following testimony? Listen to this testimony. I was happy. I had everything. Prestige, recognition, a good job, a happy wife and children. Then I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now I'm in Siberia. I've lost my family, my wealth, my reputation, my job and my health. My friends have deserted me and my crime... According to them, I love Jesus. Is persecution of Christians still real today? I don't know what your situation is, 
but you only have to go to websites like Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs and you will see that Christians are still being persecuted today. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, has something gone wrong? Does God love these Christians with this type of, call it a negative testimony, does He love them any less than those Christians who have the bigger house and the boat? Are they any less committed than the first ones? Scripture teaches us that God's agenda is not just to bless us, but to fit us for the next world. Not just to make us happy in this world. He wants to shape us for the world to come. And yes, He does want to use us to serve Him in this world. Spurgeon's Catechism of 1855, question 1, says this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We're on this earth to glorify God first, not for Him to glorify and bless us first. And sometimes those prosperity teachers that you sometimes find on TV, they kind of forget this, that we are here to glorify God first, not for Him to glorify us and to give us a good time. And aren't you tempted to think that when you go through hard times? Lord, why are you putting me through this? Why are you putting me through this, Lord? We forget that we are here to glorify Him first. Nearly 2,000 years ago, Persecution broke out against believers for the first time. And it's carried on unceasingly through the centuries. You just need to go and read a book like Fox's Book of Martyrs to see what people did to other people because they loved the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a price to pay for following the Lord Jesus. Yes, even here in New Zealand. Yes, even in your life. As we come to God's Word this morning... I want us to turn to the first letter of Peter. And if you turn in the New Testament to the first letter of Peter, we're going to be looking at this letter together. And I'm very aware that I've preached some of these sermons here, but as you'll soon see that God's Word doesn't change, but sometimes the application changes in our lives. And as I've come back to this for the second time, my message has changed as God has been working. And so I'd ask you to bear with me if you've heard one or two of these as we've gone through them, but I pray that God will use His unchangeable truth in us to change us to be obedient for Him. So the first letter of Peter in the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at only verse 1 today. Now, I'm not one of these pastors who goes through one verse at a time, so it should take about 35 years to get through one book, alright? But I do want to let Scripture dictate how fast we go through this. And so we'll see what Scripture has to say first, and that will determine how long we take to get through this. But to set the scene, to have the general introduction to this first letter, we're going to be looking at verse 1 only today. As the Apostle Peter wrote this letter to these believers. The question was, where do you start? People are going un- undergoing persecution. Where do you start with God's Word to try and encourage them? 
And as we look at this letter of encouragement, let's see what he has to say. And let's learn from these unchanging principles in God's Word to us. So let's go and read the first two verses and then the last, one of the last verses in this first letter. 1 Peter 1 verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And then let's just turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. 1 Peter 5, verse 12. And that will give us the purpose of why the Apostle Peter wrote this letter. It's very important to know that. 1 Peter 5, verse 12. This is the Apostle again speaking. I'm writing this through Silvanus. That's his scribe who wrote this for him. Our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I've written to you briefly, here's his reason, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Here's the second purpose. Stand firm in it, he says. So Peter is writing to encourage these people going through hard times. As we come to this letter, we need to ask ourselves two questions this morning. Firstly, who's the author and who is he writing to? And that might seem simple to you and you ask, well, why does he need to spend a whole sermon on that? But let's see what God's word says to us today. So firstly, who's the author? And and we're going to be looking at Peter the man first and then Peter the apostle. He identifies himself here as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ in verse 1. Now, the Apostle Peter had several names during his lifetime. I know, I've just got one name. My mother only gave me one name, Calvin, all right, or Colfain in the Afrikaans um, translation of that. But Peter had several names. He, his name was Simeon. He was called Simon in our English translation. He was called Cephas. He was called Simon Peter. He was even called Petros. He must have had an identity crisis, all right? What, who, me? Yes. His given Hebrew name was Simeon by Jonah, or Simon, the son of Jonas. And this is the same Simon introduced to us in John chapter 1, verse 41, by his brother Andrew, when he said, Come, I want you to meet Jesus. And at that stage, his name was still Simeon, or Simon. But the Lord changed his name soon to the name Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock. And the Greek equivalent of that was Petros, translated pebble. I like that bit of sense of humor there. Alright? He's a pebble with potential. He's based in the rock. Yeah, I like that. So, Peter was also called Petros or pebble. What else do we know about Peter the man? We see that he was one of the first disciples called into service with Jesus. He was a fisherman from Bethsaida. His home was in Capernaum and we see that in Scripture he was married and even took his wife with him on some of the journeys that he went around to the churches. If you want to look that up, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 5 
he took his wife with him. And then the scripture also speaks about his mother-in-law. So obviously he was married. He had a strong Galilean accent, which sometimes brought derision on him. And having a different accent here, I know what that is. Mark chapter 14 verse 70 speaks about that. We know that he was leader of the twelve disciples and that he was one of the inner three closest to Jesus. Those are just general facts about Peter the man. Now here's where I take a lot of courage from Peter. He was just a mere man like you and me. And ladies, I include you in that, okay? You honorary men for today. He was called Simon at times by Jesus when he went through key failures in his lifetime. That's quite interesting to see. When he was acting like his old, unregenerate self, then Jesus called him Simon. For instance, at Gethsemane, Gethsemane, when Jesus was about to be um, taken by the soldiers and crucified, he was in the garden there praying fervently. And he said to his disciples, keep watch with me. And then Jesus comes back and what does he find? They're having a good old snooze. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says to him, Simon. He uses that name. He says, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour with me? Mark chapter 14 verse 37. Another time when Peter failed miserably was following a heated debate among the twelve disciples as to who is the greatest in the kingdom or who will be the greatest in the kingdom. Peter was right in the middle of that, right? Jesus, warning Peter of his impending betrayal of himself, said this. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And again, Jesus uses that name Simon. Now, here's where I take great encouragement. This mere man, Peter, was also a spirit-filled man. And look what happens to him when God uses him, when he's filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Look what happens to Peter. This same Peter, or the rock, lives up to his name. It is Peter who fearlessly preaches the gospel in Acts chapter chapter 2 in front of thousands of people. It is Peter in Acts chapter 3 who has miraculous healings happen that he brings about as God uses him. It is the Apostle Peter who in Acts chapter 4 boldly confronts the Jewish authorities and he points out to them where they've gone wrong. It is the Apostle Peter who unhesitatingly disciplines sinning church members in Acts chapter 5. He is not afraid to confront them about their sin. This is the same man, Peter. And it is Peter who confronts Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8 and tells him that his heart is not right with God. And then Peter who opens the church doors to Gentiles for the first time in Acts chapter 10, even though he does so reluctantly at first. This is the same Peter, the man. We also see that it was, it was to Peter that the risen Lord appeared to give him his special commission. What was that special commission? Take care of my flock. Take care of my sheep. And this letter that we are going to be studying is a result of that, of Peter's concern and looking after the sheep. This then is the rock man, Simon Peter, the man. 
But we see that Peter wasn't just a man. He was also, secondly, an apostle of Jesus Christ, says our text. Peter's preaching, right initially from the first, was fairly powerful and strong because God was giving him the authority to speak. But he was more than just a good preacher, says our text. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had been given a divine appointment by Jesus Christ himself. And you know where I take courage from that? When I look at Peter, even though he was an apostle, he didn't just change overnight. Remember that it was Peter who was in that boat when the waves came up. And when he saw Jesus walking on the water, it was the apostle Peter who got out of that boat. And then he suddenly saw the waves and he started sinking like a rock. He really lived up to his name then. But this same Peter was the one who God had plans for. And God had plans to make him more like his resurrected master. He made him an apostle. We see that Peter was appointed an apostle, not the apostle as he would have liked earlier in his life. He was just an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of Jesus' Christ's appointed chosen ones. These apostles were sent off ones. That is what the word originally meant. Apostles were sent off ones. They were sent off with a specific mission and with credentials to be able to do that job. The mission was to proclaim God's word in person to those they were coming to contact with and also to write down the words that God was giving to them, whether it was personally or through scribes, but to make a record of God's word until the canon of scripture was complete. And they had credentials to do that. They had to bring the actual words of Christ to the people. That was one of the marks of an apostle. They were bringing God's very words to people and then writing those down. And they were doing that with the authority of the Old Testament prophets. Thus says the Lord. That's the authority they had as apostles when they brought God's words. Very different to today. They had to lead the way and care for this new body of believers, the church as they were then called. That was one of the tasks God gave to the apostles. They were also to be eyewitnesses of Christ himself. So Peter and the rest of the apostles, they were all eyewitnesses. They lived during the time of Christ and they saw him. They heard his words. They saw the miracles he performed. And even the apostle Paul, who was an apostle, saw Jesus in a vision and God made himself plain to him. Another credential was that they were to perform signs and miracles, not when they wanted to, but when God wanted to do it through them and to use them. They had to perform those miracles. Where's the encouragement I take from that? God took this burly Galilean fisherman and he made him into a leader of the early church, the Apostle Peter. And the question that immediately comes to me this morning is, what can God do with me? What can God do with you if we yield ourselves to Him firstly, as we saw last week, if we come before Him with penitent hearts because of our sin, and if we come before Him fearing His Word and living obedient lives? What can He do with you and me? We are just normal human beings. Peter was, and God used them. Mightily. God uses ordinary people 
to do extraordinary things for Him because it's God that does the work, not us. We are just available for Him. But the question is this morning, and even just from this first part of verse 1, is how available are you and I to God working in us and through us? Or do we go through the motions of doing church week in, week out? Are you available for God to use you? Who was Peter writing to? Let's go and look at the second part of this now. He was writing to those who reside as aliens. Those who reside as aliens. There are other words for this. If you've got different translations, your text might say those who are foreigners or those who are exiles or sojourners or strangers. Those are the various translations used there. But they all point to one thing. These people were living in a country that wasn't their own. They were exiles. These were Jewish and Gentile Christians who had been displaced from their homes and they were sent off into a foreign country and a strange land. How did this all come about? And this is a bit of background to this letter. Well, if you think back to your Roman history, Nero, that cruel emperor, was in charge at this stage. And he had this dream to rebuild Rome. But unfortunately, there were all these higgledy-piggledy buildings all over the place that didn't look anything like he wanted it. And so he got this idea to burn down Rome so that he could clear the space and then build these magnificent buildings that he wanted to put in place. And so that is what he did. He set fire to Rome, not himself, but through people. And of course, you can think of the public outrage that came because of that. People lost their homes, they lost their livelihoods, they lost family members, and so Rome was in uproar. And these believers were a thorn in the flesh to Nero because they were starting to say things about another God that people had to serve. And he wanted to be God. And so he thought, this is an excellent opportunity. And so he started rumors that the believers, this new faith, they were responsible for the great fire. And so the people, trying to channel all their anger, turned it on the Christians and they started persecuting these Christians and even chasing them right out of Rome. It is the same Nero who then took some of these believers and at some of his parties he would dip them in oil and tar and then set them alight and use them as human torches and boil them alive for the amusement of his guests. This is the same Nero. And so the Christians fled out of Rome and they were chased out of Rome and they became exiles from their homes, their families. They became sojourners. This little word sojourn is a real excellent one. It's a very interesting word that we can learn from today as well. There's an interesting historical document written by, it's called the Epistle of Aristeas. And it was written by the king of Egypt and this is what it said. Listen to this, very interesting. The king of Egypt issued a decree ordering visitors not to sojourn more than 20 days in Alexandria. Why? Because many were becoming enamored of the luxurious life in the prosperous city and neglecting essential agricultural work back home in the rural areas. That's the word sojourner used very early on in historical documents. And so this king was saying, You're not allowed to stay in my city for more than 20 days because you guys tend to look around and then like it and then settle down. 
and then forget that you've got work back home. We'll come back to that. These sojourners, as they were forced out of Rome and as they left Rome, had no initial intention of settling down where they were. They had to get through the situation, escape for their lives, and then they would see what God would do with them. They had to learn to live and to travel lightly and to move at a moment's notice. Why? Because if they didn't, they might lose their lives. And so they fled and they traveled lightly. But as they settled down into, this, into this, these new lands, they started looking around them and they started thinking, well, maybe we could stay here. And as you do, you lose speed. And they started looking around and started to gather possessions again, as we do as human beings. Ask me, I've just moved from Auckland, I know. Two trucks instead of one. But Peter reminds these sojourning exiles that the home where they are now is not the home where they are supposed to be. They are in a foreign country. He reminds them that they are sojourners. And God's word too emphasizes that over and over to you and I, that we are sojourners in this life. We are not to settle down. We are not to get comfortable in this life. Let's turn to the book of John. John chapter 17. Let's see what Jesus said about this. John chapter 17, verses 13 to 18. This is a very important prayer that Jesus prayed for all of those. He prayed for his disciples, but he prayed for us too who are in this world. John 17, verses 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, look at this. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, important. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Here's a reminder from God's word to us today. Our citizenship is in heaven. Not in New Zealand. We are not to get bogged down with stuff and to get comfortable with our existence and even start to think like the world around us because that's what we do. So that when the call comes for us to move, you and I, the Lord wants to use us and then we, no Lord, I'm too comfortable. I don't want to go now. No, I can't go there. No, I don't want to go and see that person. I've got things to do, Lord. We are loath to change and slow to respond. This is not our home. We are foreigners here. And that's what this text is bringing out to us and what Peter wanted to remind these people too, that they were just foreigners in this country, that they weren't to settle down. Think of Abraham just for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 11 verses 9 and 10, this is what was written about Abraham back in the Old Testament. 
Remember, God went to find Abraham. He was living there in the Ur of the Chaldees. And he was living there in his tent. And God said to him, I want you to come. And I'm going to take you to a city that I will show you. And so what did Abraham do? He uprooted himself. He uprooted his whole lifestyle. He took all his animals, his, his children, his family. And he went to a land he didn't even know where he was going. But he was following God. He went to a city whose architect and builder is God. That is faith. Where is your real home? As you're sitting here, you've come to this church this morning. Where is your real home? Is it on this earth? Have you got so comfortable that you are not allowing God to use you? Are you still a foreign exile in this world? Or are you perhaps a settled citizen? There's a big difference. Between, a, between being a foreign exile and being a settled citizen of this world. We see in our text too, the last part of that verse, that they were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Little did Nero know that by persecuting these Christians that he was aiding in spreading the gospel all over the world. I don't think he thought that. He thought that by covering up his sin, it was going to be dealt with. But it's like squashing them and they just spread out under his hands. As his Christians spread out all over the world, as they were persecuted, they scattered all over the Roman world, all over these provinces of northern Asia Minor, what we call today modern day Turkey. And the great diaspora took place, the great dispersion of peoples took place. I learned a valuable exercise when I started farming my little block. I had a bit of gorse on there and I thought, well, I'm going to just burn the stuff because that's what I'm used to. If you don't like it, burn it. Right? And so I burnt it. And guess what happened? The seed germinated and then it really came up. It's, it came up in big force. And the farmer next to me looked at this and he said, you know, young man, because he's older than me, he said, young man, Next time, cut it out or spray it. Don't burn it because this, that tends to make it get worse. And so I learned a valuable lesson through that time. But the same thing happened to these believers. As they came under burning, as they came under persecution, they spread out and the gospel went with them. Why? Because they lived out the gospel in their lives and they spoke it out fearlessly. It's a fact in life. That when Christians come into persecution, the church grows stronger. We've seen that with the churches behind the Iron Curtain. We see that even today. Where people are under persecution, their faith grows stronger. Where we have it easy, we sit back, we relax, our faith grows weaker. God put them under pressure so that His Word would go out into all the world. They proclaimed His, will, His Word boldly. They didn't stand back for the word. And you know what? When they proclaimed that word boldly, it attracted even more persecution and more trouble to them. And so they would have to move on again. And so the word of God went with them and spread all over the world. These were scattlings on a mission. They were on a mission. And Peter's letter here to them is to remind them that they are scattlings with a mission. 
we see there in our text that they weren't just aliens who were scattered, but that they also chosen. And we're going to be looking at that next week. All right? In God's wisdom, He has given me the whole doctrine of election to look at in my third sermon here. But that's up to the Lord, and we will do that next week. But for this week, they were scattered because they were on a mission. They had to learn to live for God in the midst of a society who were not just ignorant about God, but antagonistic towards God. They didn't want to know about God. As they faced unjust persecution and loss of their material goods, as they were arrested and things taken away from them, God was calling them to obedience to His Word first. He was calling them to obedience first. And Peter here reminds them that they are to show a new way of life to live to those that they come into contact with. What does that look like? A new way of life that doesn't hit out when attacked. It doesn't get revenge when wronged. It doesn't hold on too tightly to earthly possessions. It holds them loosely. When they see a need, they give away. When they're attacked, they don't retaliate. They take it. When, they, when someone takes revenge on them, they don't revenge back in return. That was quite a radical message for those days. And for today. Because what were the Romans used to? The Romans ruled by the sword and by power. And here are these believers saying, no, we're not interested in power. We just want to live lives that are obedient to, yes, the governor, but also to God. The Romans were used to deceit and murder to get power and position. And here these Christians are teaching about forgiveness, about love, about doing good to others. The Romans couldn't understand that. That was weakness to them. These Christians faced a fork or a junction in the road in front of them. Either they continued obeying God and receiving the world's hatred and persecution, or they weakened their obedience to God, they, they got to live more comfortably, they even maybe got less persecution, but they lost their testimony before the Lord. What's changed today? Has that changed for us? We still face that same junction as believers before the Lord today. You and I face that junction. Do we live lives that are worthy of the Lord and have that strong testimony for the Lord? Or do we kind of water down our testimony before the world so that the world doesn't look at us and say, what's wrong with these people? And so that we can live comfortable existences. We've been deliberately scattered by God. He has put you and I where we are today. He brought Alice and I from Auckland here because he's scattered us here. He's brought every single one of you here because he's got a purpose for you here. And he wants you to stand strong with a testimony of what he's done in your life and not to water it down at all. And if that means going through hard times, then it means, yes, go through hard times. We need to do that because God has put us here with a purpose. Without our opening our mouths, and that's what I alluded to last week, without us opening our mouths, we are to just live the gospel to those around us. That's what these believers had to do as they were scattered around. They had to lead different lives before the unbelieving world. They didn't have to say anything about the gospel. But the question that comes to you and I this morning is, what is the unspoken message of our lives? Without us opening our mouths, just living life before unbelievers, 
What is the unspoken message of our lives? When they see you and I, when we go through hard times, how do we react? When people speak out against us, how do we react? When you hit someone with your car, as I said last week, how do you react? The world looks at us. And sometimes the only Bible they read is the way we live. That is their first contact. Does the message of our lives differ greatly from those around us? What is that? A message of self-gratification? Of chasing after possessions? Of no time to get to know anyone or to care for people, as Jesus did? Of pretending to be who we are not really? Of going through despair when things don't go our way or when we face opposition? Is that the message that we're giving out? Because the world will look at us and they say, so what's different to us? You've got no relevance. Or do we live a message that we are here? Do we live this message in our lives that we are here on a specific mission? That we've got a message to proclaim that we will stand up boldly for that even when things turn against us because of that and that we have a, we can make a real difference because of what Christ has made in us. Christ has made a real difference in our lives. Do we live that difference to the world around us? I ask myself that question, even though I've been appointed here as a pastor in this church. When I leave these four walls of this building and I go out into the world, does my life speak out that here is a believer in the way that I do things? so that the world can clearly see. Or perhaps my eyes are also still focused on the pleasures and the attractions of this world, on the size of the waves of trouble that came up, come up against me, on the temporary niceties of acceptance and tolerance of people. And yes, even amongst other believers. Do you and I have our eyes fixed on our Saviour? Do we have our eyes fixed on what He's given us to do? Do we have our feet set on the path that leads us to heaven? Or are we getting stuck in this world? Are we sitting down in the seat of mockers? Are we getting real comfortable on this earth? What is the passport in your pocket? What is the insignia on that? Does it bear the image of the Lamb of God? Or maybe of the Prince of the power of this world? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Because if it, bears the past, if it bears the image of the Lamb of God who's done a work in your life, then we need to be living that life before the world. And I believe even though we're looking at one verse here, that is one of the things that the Apostle Peter would like to remind not just those early believers of, but us too. Live a life worthy of what Christ did for you. Don't water down your testimony before the world. Live a powerful life before the world. And then yield yourself to the Lord and see what He'll do, not just with you, but through you as well. Take courage, says the Apostle Peter. Yes, you're going through hard times, but you are scattered aliens. God has deliberately done this with you. He knows what He's doing. He's taking you through this life. I bring that with urgency to you this morning because who knows what's still going to happen in this lovely little country of ours. The laws might change, movements might come up against Christianity and they nearly did that a few years ago and then it went down again. 
where they were looking at a law against proselytization, which meant that we as Christians couldn't then go and tell someone about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because that would be seen then as hate speech. We had to leave it to other people to ask us. They nearly brought that law in, but it was squashed. Who knows how this country will still change? We need to use the opportunity of freedom that the Lord, that the Lord has given us up to now, use it effectively for Him. And how do we do that? By living effective lives before the world. Living clear, bright, shining lives before the world. I want to end with a statement this morning. The urgency of your mission, the urgency of my mission, is directly related to how unsettled we are in this world. How settled are you here? Do you remember that you have a mission to fulfill? Or do you get so caught up in the humdrum of life that you forget? That we just get on with life, children go to school, children children go to university, we go to jobs, we come back, but we've forgotten that we are here on a mission. We've forgotten to look to the Lord, our director in this mission, who's given us that mandate to go out into all the world and to proclaim the truth. Are we doing that? Are we living lives that proclaim that truth? I'm going to give you time now. We're going to end in prayer. But maybe this would be a good time to just come before the Lord. To maybe just confess how lukewarm we we may be. How unused we have been because we haven't been yielding. How we've forgotten that we are scattered here to do a job. And to take courage this morning that God says to us, I know that you're going through this, but go through with me. I am there with you. Let's just come in prayer and maybe one or two of you would like to just bring us before the Lord. I know this, we haven't prepared for this. But just in short sentences, bring us before the Lord and then I will close this time together and we'll sing to God's glory. Let's pray together. You've given us this encouragement from your word this morning that you know where we are. You've put us right here. You've given us a mandate. And now you say to us, Lord, you say to us, live obedient lives before me. Live yielded lives before me. Not so that you can work, but so that I can work through you. Lord, forgive us where we've been following our own little busy programs and schedules. Bring us back to that place again where we are yielded to you and where we are open before what your Spirit would do through us and in us. Thank you for the reminder that we are not alone, that you have given us your Helper, the Holy Spirit who is with us and who knows all things, And who knows how he wants to use us, but wants yielded instruments before him. Lord, I pray for this week, for all of us, as we go out into our workplaces, as we go into our homes, as we go into our schools, that we would stand strong for you, that we would not be afraid to wear the name Christian, one who is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would stand up boldly for you when the situation arises, 
that we would not stand back when the situation comes where we are to give testimony of what you've done or to speak up for what is wrong. Lord, may you use us, we pray. And just like you did with the Apostle Peter, you turn him from a mere fisherman into the leader of the early church and now into an apostle who speaks even into our lives now. Use us, we pray, so that you can bring your kingdom when you come again. We want to see you come again, Lord Jesus. But use us here in the meantime, we pray, to your glory. Amen.